The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, a member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. Ready to hear untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the Rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where, as you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who are in the trenches building them every day. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey, and today we're going to discuss strategic rebranding for improved market penetration. Joining us is Kevin Smith, who is the founder and managing member at Smash Brand. Smash Brand specializes in data-driven brand development for consumer packaged goods, it's the only agency that can generate performance lift as it processes and integrates strategy, design, testing, and other path to performance framework. All right, Kevin and I had a chance to catch up before the show. Brother's back from Arizona, and we're going to talk today about rebranding for better market penetration. Here's my conversation with Kevin Smith, founder and managing member at Smash Brand. Hey, what's going on, Kevin? Hey, Scott. Good to have you, dude. Well, you say you do this all day long. I, I love this topic because we talk a lot of time on the creative side for rebranding. But I heard some smart language in the intro here. So, I mean, how do we rebrand for better market penetration, like right off the bat? I mean, and I'm sure it depends on the type of business. And then also maybe but even before we start again, let's let's get a quick background from you. You know, where have you been? How did you get to where you're at today? Yep. I'll do a quick background and then let's talk about the, the context that I can speak to. I've been in the CPG space for about 23 years now, Marine Corps, college, met my business partner and convinced him, like a lot of other entrepreneurs, to quit his job with me. And we launched our first line of products. So I was actually like a client side person. Launched a sports nutrition brand that became popular very quick. We were distributed, GNC, Vitamin Shop, Walmart, you name it. Quickly got to uh, you know the high millions in sales and had an exit from a PE group after that. Started four more brands. They were all successful. And it was really around six years ago when brands started coming to us and saying, it was mostly PE back brands at that time, hey, can you work on our product? And specifically the context that I, that I work in is packaging. And it's what I learned and got all of my own kind of uh, scars with the own brands that I, that I had is that uh, in a retail environment, that asset, and it's proven today, 64% of all brand awareness comes from the retail shelf and that one asset. So for me and what I do with marketing, is really around retail shelf performance. And when a brand goes in there, they need smart marketers to support awareness outside of the store. But I'm solely focused in, you know, for rebranding a brand for performance in that aisle, making that one asset as powerful as it can be. Love it. That's a great background. Thank you. So where are marketers getting it wrong in terms of packaging and shelf space and pull through and push and pull? And I, I spent some time doing a lot of CPG work with Pepsi and probably know enough to be dangerous. So I love CPG marketing because I think it's, a lot of it, to your point, does depend on, you know, how you're being supported in store because most people are making that decision while they're in the store. So I'd, I'd love to hear your background, where are people getting it wrong? And then we can kind of go into the framework for better market penetration after that. 
No, that's great. My business partner is actually the head of brands and innovation over at, at Pepsi. And so I'm going to back up for one second where I think brands, especially if we're going to talk about like mid cap and lower and startup brands, especially when you're in the world of Pepsi, I think you do a lot of things right. And they're very sophisticated. They've got things that I call stage gated models, where when a brand is going to renovate or go into innovation, they're hired research firm. They're hiring great design groups. They're executing on that. And they're also partnering with things like Nielsen Basies or PRS, and they're testing it all along the way. And in the end, they already know how it's going to perform, and Pepsi puts it on the shelf. Where that doesn't happen is as you move down stages of business, somewhat in the mid-cap brands that are over a couple hundred million, but as you get to smaller brands especially, this is where they get it wrong. They hire a design firm, they throw some graphics on it that look pretty, and they put it on shelf. And then a year later, as they're going up for all their category reviews, they're discontinued because they're not meeting their terms. I think the big advantage, and not talking about what even we sell as a business, is that you can do it super scrappy, is data first in our modern age. No smaller brands or very few are using it, but you should optimize with data. I don't care if you're doing surveys, right? Like, like, But you're bringing the consumer into as you're designing it's going to make all the difference in the world. But most brands, what they're doing, and I see it all day long, is they're you know, hiring some designer, throwing graphics on, putting it on the shelf. It's not a compelling, distinct value proposition. Their claims and benefits aren't unique enough to stand out in the category, and then they just don't get trial. Yeah, I agree. And you know, we've, I've made the mistake of being you know, more on the brand design side, but not a package designer, and have found myself having to do package designing. And it's been a big learning lesson. I think your point is is well said about finding the right insights and data. And, you know, in CPG marketing, it, it can be formulaic where the products and features and claims matter. Is there an order of importance or like, how would you, okay, let's say I'm protein, whey protein brand going into like a GNC, you know, and I've seen some success. It's a cool brand. It's it got some differentiation in the marketplace. Maybe, you know, the whey is, is more, you know, organic and it's different than a pea protein. So it, it's quite unique. And we've seen some D2C success. Um, how do you work with a brand? Like, do you surveys? Do you man on the street? Is it is it looking at Nielsen data? Maybe take me through your process a little bit. Yeah. So so typically in the beginning, I like to call it more of, of a diagnosis. And maybe a brand's more sophisticated and they already have, like you said, they've got some shopper data, something from Spins or from Nielsen. And you can look at the POS data and start to paint a picture of where they are. That's kind of looking backwards. And what I actually like to do is from just a packaging standpoint, then is bring in that whole competitive set, the whole whey protein or plant protein or whatever it's where, wherever they're sitting in the category. And we actually individually test every competitor for how they're perceived in the market, right? How are consumers seeing them? There's usually around five key metrics overall, need, desire, and taste appeal and quality. And then there's going to be some custom attributes for that category that are going to be really important. Like, is it healthy? And so test on those 10 attributes, you start to see across the landscape how consumers are perceiving things. And what you usually see is a lot of brands are converging in around the same area. And what's left over is this like white space. And that depending on the level, the size of brand, that's really where we want to start paying attention to is, okay, everybody's saying these same things over here. And there's probably some of those things that we have to bring over. Those are checkboxes, right? The amount of protein. But where are they losing on other things like taste appeal? You're going to see brands today that are like Ghost or Rise, and they're going to win big because they're doing these collabs with Oreo and Chips Ahoy. And then you see other brands that aren't even bringing any taste appeal. But it's really 
understanding at the beginning from a category where you are. And then from there, what we really see is about 85% of the brands that don't do really well, it all comes down to messaging. It's going to be the overall value proposition within the category. It's going to be the claims you're making and then those reasons to believe the claims, like those are the kind of three. And so as you see products get discontinued, and this gets tracked with Nielsen, the reason is 85% of the, the consumer is not convinced that you're better than what they're buying today, or you got just so much stuff going on there that they're confused, so they don't want to figure it out, and there's a barrier, and they go to the next thing. So it's prioritizing communication is next and testing all of that. And then finally, you get to the design part of the rebrand, which is the majority there is, does it align with the position? And then does it stand out like crazy? Because you got to be noticed like first, second, or third in a set to get really high velocity. This is great. And I have so many questions flowing through my mind, especially, you know, when you're you're making a decision in store from a category and it could be a crowded category, whether it's protein or energy or soft drink, toothpaste. I mean, there's a lot of crowded CPG categories, especially in grocery. Do you get one or two things? Is are, Do people bury the lead a lot? Is it taste or function? How do you decide once you're in what you called what I heard was the kind of the white space? How do you understand order of importance from a consumer standpoint? And has anything surprised you from a consumer standpoint where you're like, man, typically this is a function category and we lead with function and our superiority claim is around function, like most caffeine, most protein, whatever, some sort of science data backed thing. Or does taste matter? I've been in category situations where I've had functional category CPG and we got too science-based and I thought it, it wasn't effective and it wasn't cool and it wasn't a, a lifestyle kind of driven thing like same way you would see with body armor and some of the best Gatorade and, and the best are very, it seems to be more lifestyle driven that have functionality. So I don't know if I'm asking a question there, but I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking about a lot of things and, and, and what is the lead based on the category and, and what sort of consumer trends are you seeing? Is it is it more on function or more on lifestyle or more on taste? I, I'd be curious your thoughts. Yep. So I, I can answer this one definitively with the amount of data and categories and products that we've run through just our testing systems over the years. It, it's pretty clear. And so I'm going to do it. There, there's usually like to develop a great brand, there's going to be some category cues that you're going to bring in. For example, in beverage, does it look like it is it going to taste delicious and is it refreshing? Like you have to answer those for sure. There's going to be usually a great insight that comes in that allows you to differentiate. But the thing that's interesting is across every category, it doesn't matter if it's toothpaste or soda pop. What we found is there's a spectrum of functional, just like you're saying, and then I call it emotional over here. And the front of pack, what will perform best every single time, every single time is functional. And we're talking about the copy here. You can use like body armor. If you read their messaging, it's very functional. It just gets at what the attributes uh, are of, of the product. A lot of the emotive side comes from the design itself was so important. It stands out well. It feels like a sporty. It looks like it tastes delicious with the fruit back there. But as you move out from that front of pack, which is functional, which you've got the size in the pack, a little more emotional. As you move out into advertising channels, all the way into like social, you'll move that messaging from functional to emotional. And like a brand that can do that drives the most awareness and trial. But it really is like an arrow that goes front of pack to all the way over to like social marketing and earned media on the right. And you just draw the line from functional to emotional. That's a great point. And it's where we've messed things up before too, when we've been in package design accidentally. And I could see a lot of maybe early stage brands or marketers miss this, right? They're not functional enough in store, on bottle, on can, on label. 
and they're maybe leading to emotionally because we are advertisers, we believe emotion sells, of course. Um, so that's a great illustration of social and more traditional advertising television or, you know, influencers, you know, more emotional. But as you get into store on package, more functional is the lead. I think that's great. Any other maybe insights to leave us group of marketers with before we get in uh, to tomorrow's show? Yeah. I mean, I think just on that one point there, you know, if you want to look at almost like a case study, nothing that I worked on, but it was something I was looking at a minute ago. You look at it, one of the brands that I wish I invested in, super fast growth, Celsius, right? Everybody knows Celsius. And again, if you look across the spectrum of their medium, like as a brand builder, their pack is quite simple. You know, it's got taste and refreshment cues. It looks good. They're just another energy drinks. Energy drink 1.0 was like Red Bull. Energy drink 2.0 differentiated with low carb. And then it was super high caffeine. Those were the new categories. And then Celsius really found their footing in what I'd call energy drink 3.0. When you look at their front of pack, it is all very functional. The taste and flavor cues are there for the category, but it's very functional. But then they bring in their one piece of differentiation, which is their value proposition, which is about healthier energy, living fit. And that combination right there has just, you know, propelled them in the stores. And I think as we think about this conversation, that's a good brand to look at. And then when you look across all their medium, it goes really emotional. It's one of my favorite case studies. And in fact, we broke Celsius down specifically on this show maybe oh, that's like cool. four months ago. I couldn't agree with you more. They found a sweet spot in a giant category with healthy energy and they just hit you over the head with it. And it, it wasn't super complicated. I think what Liquid Death did more recently is more creative and even a, a bigger win because that category is even more crowded and tough in my mind in, in the water category. And I, I think Celsius just functionality just hit what the market needed, which was healthy, <laughs> a more yeah. healthy dose of, of functional energy, whether you're a coffee drinker or a Red Bull or energy drinker, everybody wanted that. I have to make one comment on that. So it's funny because when I look at Celsius, it's the playbook. Like it's the top tier brand management playbook of developing a line that has a unique fit, following the playbook from packaging to execution and awareness marketing. Now, Liquid Death, people call me all the time. They're like, hey, can you make us a Liquid Death? And I'm like, I don't think I can. Like I follow a very traditional playbook for performance. That's like the kid who's like, I want to be Kobe Bryant in the NBA. There's like a one person, like a, such a small fraction. Because I tell you, when that product came out, I remember talking to those guys and I felt that it was dumb and I'm like, and I eat all my words. They, they've done all, they've broke every rule in the playbook and for them it worked. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was toast too. Um, and especially more recently, they've had more room to play in the category as they've become a category leader. I, I think there's just been more freedom for creativity and it, it's, it's done even better if that's a thing. But yeah, I, when I first saw it too, I'm like, this is never going to work. Like this is stupid, but it is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to bring you right back. I think we can free flow some CPG marketers here, especially on the beverage side. It's uh, one of my favorite categories. Big thanks to Kevin Smith, founder and managing member at Smash Brand for joining us. We're going to bring Kevin right back uh, tomorrow, and we're going to discuss how brands can create distinction in their messaging. So we probably touched on it a little bit this episode, but we're going to dive in deeper uh, with Kevin. Uh, you can find uh, Kevin's LinkedIn profile link in our show notes um, and everything uh, you need to know at his company website, Smash Brand. If you want everything about Kevin and don't want to take notes right now, maybe you're in the car, just go to rebrandpod.com and we'll have all the summaries and episodes and contact information. Um, it is your spot in case you miss something or your spot to maybe direct somebody who wants to be on the show 
or learn more, rebrandpod.com. You can find me on social media. I love connecting with more marketers. It's just at Scott Harkey, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you know, whatever else, TikTok, you'll, you'll, you'll find me just at Scott Harkey, H-A-R-K-E-Y. If you haven't subscribed yet, that's our, that's our KPI. I want to say five, 6,000 plus marketers to subscribe to the show because we want to have best and best marketers talking marketing and just no bullshit, like getting right down to the nitty gritty of, of brand and marketing. So that's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 